The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rock. Good day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, DVXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution, not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at Sons of Liberty Media.com. And for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative word of God, glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsofLibertyRadio.com and also SonsofLibertyMedia.com. Right, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio, head over to SonsofLibertyMedia.com. There you're going to see two videos at the top of the page. The one on the left side of the page is Bradley's show from yesterday. So if you missed that and you'd like to catch it, you can do so up until 3 p.m. Eastern, at which time we'll be live in that little area right there. On the right side of the page is where we're at. Click on the play button, blow it up on whatever device you got there. Look for the rumble icon, bottom right-hand corner. Click on that and join us in the chat over on Rumble. Got a lot of friends over there. Good morning. Good to see you guys. A little lively chat going on. <laughs> the pre-show music and uh and that's good that's good i'm glad everybody's awake and alert and everything uh but you can join us over there and then also be sure to subscribe to the channel sons of liberty radio live sons of liberty radio live is the channel on rumble also before it's news.com top of the page they're giving us a spot over there and we appreciate that as well right up under on sons of liberty media.com right up under where we're streaming live is where you can sign up for our email newsletter please do that um, help us out there. Again, the censorship continues on now. It continues to do that. Uh, so in, even in the emails, I know they get sent to spam. It's just incredible the lengths that these people are going to shut down anything that disagrees with their official narratives. So uh, sign up for that. It goes out once a day, late afternoon, early evening. All the articles we have for the day, including the morning show archives, so everything we're going to have here today. Uh, you'll be able to access in that archive if you have signed up for that or if you go over to sonslibertymedia.com and you pick up the archive later on uh, today when I, I post that up there. A couple of things. I You know, it's interesting. I, I run across this and you just see so many things and some people you don't know and apparently they're, they're stars or something like that. And it, it's like, okay, I don't, I don't know who this is. Um, guy by the name of Angus Cloud. Uh, he's a euphoria star, dies at 25. Um, you know, they're, they're saying, oh, struggles of mental health and all this kind of stuff. And guys, you know, as well as I do, the shot 
involves neurological issues too. Now, I'm not saying that that's what drove him to all this stuff. Maybe there was a long-term thing that was going on. But these actors, most of them had to take the shots. That was part of the thing that came out. I think, what's his name? Jamie Foxx had said something about that. He didn't want to take it, but he took it to work. And I'm going to tell you, if you look at that guy, by the way, just put his name in and see the images of him. He looks like he pulled a Michael Jackson. His skin looks almost white. His hairline looks different. You know, some people have made mention about cloning. By the way, cloning, you know, came out, what was that, in the 80s or something? They cloned this dolly sheep or whatever. And then you didn't really hear a lot about cloning, did you? And it makes you wonder what kind of technology they've developed since then. I just, he doesn't look like the same person to me. That's just me. Uh, in any case, the families made a statement, you know, about um, you know, praising his kindness and all this other stuff. But I think just like Pee Wee Herman, I think, you know, yeah, it was cancer and he had been fighting it before. But you take them shots and we already know they're breaking down those things uh, in your body to allow cancer to come through. These are just a couple of of things that that uh, that I noticed on the wire, not just today. They, they've been out for really for a couple of days, uh, actually. And then we had um, this one. Uh, this is, um, she's making some rounds here. This Dr. Anna Maria Mialcia. I, I, I don't know how to pronounce her name. I apologize, but M-I-H-A-L-C-E-A. -E uh, she did an MIT research review, which showed hydrogel interfaces for merging humans and machines. And if you guys were around the very first time I interviewed Dr. Kerry Madej, that was the thing that we talked about was hydrogel. I didn't know what they were. And, um, and she was talking about how they were used. And then we got the report from Catherine Austin Fitz about how things within these shots could link up with 5G technology to go in with the new currencies, to go in with the new banking system and all of this other. And so you can start to see how the picture comes together for a lot of this kind of stuff. So in any case, uh, those were a few news items. I, this one I find interesting as well. This came from Daisy Luther, SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. Why aren't we retaliating over that Chinese biolab found in California? Now, if you've seen the pictures on this thing, does it look like a biolab to you, really? It looks like a bunch of stuff that's thrown in there. You got some animals running around there. Maybe it's me. Okay, maybe it's me. I think <laughs> it's just another setup. That's what I think. That's how little I trust these people. I think it's a total setup. Again, getting our eyes focused on China when the real tyrants are in our backyard. That's what I think. They want us to get our eyes off of the criminals in power right now. And looking at a foreign enemy. Now, I'm not saying China's not an enemy. I'm not saying that. But I do think it's a setup to get our mindset set on those kinds of things. Anyway, not here to talk about that this morning, okay? <laughs> but uh, those are a couple of things you can find at sonsoflibertymedia.com. They will be linked as all our articles from yesterday are normally in there. And then there's some bonus videos too, things that I don't talk about, uh, but maybe we've written articles about, or not even that. That's just something I find of interest. You may not agree with it, but I find it of interest. Okay. And so sometimes I throw those in there off my, uh, rumble channel today. 
want to talk a little bit about elections because I got to tell you, I, I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think I, I laid in bed this morning for 30 minutes just going, you know, Lord, we're we're in a mess here and voting isn't going to get it done. I believe with all my heart, if the people want to deal with the situation, they're going to have to push for the impossible. And that is to abolish Washington, D.C. They're going to have to. They're going to have to abolish the central government. I know it sounds impossible. I know it does. But we've got a great God who does the impossible, don't we? Or do we not really believe that? Yeah, I believe that we have a God who does the impossible. In fact, I'm going to give you an example of that in just a little bit. But today, when we talk about voting, you have to kind of ask, where does any of that come from? Well, we talk about our representatives being our servants, right? In the New Testament, they would be called the diakonos. They would be the, the deacons. They would be the servants. They would be those who serve. Where does that come from? Well, that comes out of Acts chapter 6. You remember there were the Hellenistic widows right, that um, uh, weren't being taken care of. See, they took care of their widows. They didn't look to the state to do it. They didn't look to Rome to do it. They didn't look even to necessarily the government of Israel to do it. They took care of it. The people, the men, they took care. Just as Paul says, he says, if you don't take care of your own widows, you're worse than an infidel and you've denied the faith. So we read in Acts chapter six, this, and in those days when the number of the disciples was multitude, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. And the 12 called the multitude. These are the 12 uh, minus Judas and adding Matthias in there. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So they knew their place. Their place was the giving of the word of God. That's what the apostles were to do, the disciples here. They were to give the word of God and they were to give themselves to prayer. But they knew this service had to be done. It was an important service to do. So they said, Wherefore, brethren, look ye, the people, those complaining about their widows not being taken care of, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And I think this gets extracted out in 1 Timothy chapter 3, where he talks about their character. You look at that, you see it not only in their individual lives, you look at it in the lives of their, their wives and their children in their, in their house. Full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So even that the people brought them together, but it was the disciples who would, those who had been given this authority to deliver the word of God, it was them who would appoint those men. They would approve of them. And they said, but we'll give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenius and Nicholas, a proselyte, or proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And notice this, once they did this, the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And then you see all kinds of other things happening here too. 
but they were being obedient, very practical, uh, very practical things. They just took care of their widows and allowed the men of, of God who were delivering the word of God to do their duty. So, so both had a place within the body and the church began to grow as a result of that. Pretty incredible. So the people chose them. The, the disciples set them apart for that. Well, what do we have now? Well, we have uh, almost royalty, if you will. That's, that's the way they're treated. That's, when you look at the politicians, boy, how they're exalted, how they're applauded, how, how their names are on everybody's tongue with, with great reverence and pomp. Listen to the way Trump gets it. Oh, my goodness gracious. It's just sickening. That's how people. That's how people respond to mere men who are supposed to be their servants. They treat them like they're kings. They're not. As we've talked about in this country, there's one king, and that's King Jesus, and under him are a bunch of ambassadors or even little kings in this country. The way our government, at least, was set up, is supposed to be us. And the Bible references us as a kingdom of priests unto our God. And we used to have paper ballots. And of course, you'd stuff the ballot box. I know cheating can go on that way too. It's a lot more difficult that way, but it can go on that way. I want to play this video here first to kind of set things up for what we're going to look at today. Just to remind you, this is this was back like in 2006. Now, some of this I played before because uh, of the subject we're going to cover here. But this was 2006. This guy is before uh, the U.S. Uh, U.S. House, uh, excuse me, the House Judiciary members in Ohio. His name is Clinton Eugene Curtis. He goes by the name Clint. Um, and he's an American attorney, a computer programmer, and an ex-employee of NASA and ExxonMobil. And I want you to listen to his testimony here about how these voting systems, these electronic voting systems, this is 2006, can be hacked. Nobody would ever know it. You could flip the votes 51 to 49%. And he's going to tell, and he's under oath here talking about this. Check it out. He's being sworn in here. Mr. Curtis, would you please state your full name for the record? My name is Clinton Eugene Curtis. And where do you reside? Tallahassee, Florida. And what is your profession? I'm a computer programmer. Would you please speak into the microphone so the audience can hear your testimony? I'm a computer programmer. Mr. Curtis, are there programs that can be used to secretly fix elections? Yes. How do you know that to be the case? Because in October of 2000, I wrote a prototype for President Congressman Tom Feeney at the company I worked for in Oviedo, Florida, that did just that. And when you say did, did just that, it would rig an election? It would flip the vote 51-49 to whoever you wanted it to go to and whichever race you wanted to win. And would that program that you designed be something that elections officials that might be on county boards of elections could detect? They'd never see it. Mr. Would you answer that question once again? They would never see it. So how would such a such a program, a secret program that uh, fixes the election, how could it be detected? 
you would have to view it either in the source code or you'd have to have a receipt and then count the hard paper against the actual vote total. Other than that, you won't see it. All right, Mr. Curtis, uh, if you had been asked, you or others with your professional expertise had been asked to design a protective program to, that would protect the Ohio elections from against, against such software to fix the election, could you have done so? If we've been asked to make a program that can fix the election, sure, anybody can do it. No, could you have designed a program or a procedure or a protocol that would have protected Ohio against this kind of rigging? No, you have to look at the source code. You have to get probably programmers from both or all parties to look at the source code and determine if there's anything in there that shouldn't be there. I mean, it's a simple program. You're adding one to a person's total. It's a hundred lines of code tops. There's all right. If uh, are you aware of whether there was any protective action in Ohio against this kind of vote rigging through software? I don't know. You don't know? I don't know. You were you were not asked to assist in the development of any protective system. Is that correct? No, I was not. In Europe, have you uh, reviewed at all the election results in Ohio? No, I haven't. Okay. Given the availability of such uh, vote rigging software and the testimony that has been given under oath of substantial statistical anomalies and gross dis dis differences between exit polling data and the actual tabulated results, do you have an opinion whether or not Ohio election, the Ohio election, presidential election, was hacked? Yes, I would say it was. I mean, if you're, if you have exit polling data that is significantly off from the vote, then it's probably hacked. And your testimony is under oath. Yes, sir. And the testimony you've given is true. Yes, sir. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to pause it there. There's like another, uh, I don't know, 10 minutes or so of testimony. They call him back, and uh, I'll have this up in the archive. If you haven't seen it, it's worth your time just to see. I, I don't know why the people aren't pushing back against these electronic ballots. I just That's just the stupidest thing that I can think of that we would use uh, for voting. I just, I just think it's a stupid thing. And uh, it's been evidenced uh, over the past several election cycles of just how stupid it is. Uh, we've seen even people taking video of them making a vote for somebody and the machine changing it to another person. We've seen that. So this is this is just more shenanigans. And it, did you notice this guy was asked, were you asked to write programs to protect the system from the program you were asked to write to see if you can manipulate it. And he said, no. They weren't interested in protecting it. They were interested in manipulating it. You see how that works? So with that said, let's go to <clears throat> what happened 77 years ago yesterday. Anybody know what happened 77 years ago? If, you, if you're on the video platform, uh, you probably guessed it because you saw the image uh, that was up for this. Well, Clara Burnish uh, wrote <clears throat> yesterday, and we carried it at sonsoflibertymedia.com. This is what she wrote. Now, this is lengthy, but it's a setup because what I'm going to do is I'm going to play for you 
a video. Everybody loves it when I play this video. It's about 13 minutes, so we're probably going to run over a little bit. But I want to just give you the, the details of things, and she lays these out, and it's, it's wonderful. It's really wonderful. Here's what she writes. In the summer of 1946, war-weary GIs began to return from World War II battlefronts in Europe and Japan, ready to resume life in their sleepy Tennessee town. When they found instead, or what they found instead, infuriated them to the core. A power-hungry Democrat and his associates had since usurped local government and local law and law enforcement and had imposed a maniacal chokehold on the McMinn County town through extortive fines, excess laws, and arrests of anyone who opposed them. Does that sound familiar to you? While the soldiers were away fighting power-hungry foreign enemies in 1936, Paul Cantrell, a Democrat from a wealthy and prominent family, used that influence to win the position of sheriff. And though many Athens citizens strongly suspected Cantrell had been elected through entirely legal means, there appeared, uh, illegal means, there appeared to be no way to challenge the results. As the years passed, Cantrell and his deputies took full advantage of Tennessee law, which gave the unscrupulous men a fee for each person arrested, jailed, and released. See what I'm talking about? It's all about the money, the lawless money at that. Okay. And they're getting the and the and the boys in brown and the boys in blue get paid for it. Every time you get a ticket, there's an officer's fee in there. Have you noticed that? Yeah. According to some accounts, the lawmen even pulled over buses that happened to pass through town, summarily arrested everyone on board for drunkenness, whether or not they actually were, in order to profit handily from their misfortune. But such arrests and fines required paperwork, which meant traceable money, and to some degree hindered the men's ability to rake in cash. It was less troublesome to collect kickbacks for allowing roadhouses to operate openly, American Heritage explained. Cooperative owners would point out influential patrons. They were not bothered, but the rest were subject to shakedowns. Prostitution, liquor, and gambling grew so prevalent that it became common knowledge in Tennessee that Athens was, quote, wide open, end quote. Because Cantrell and his cronies faced only limited opposition, they thwarted subsequent elections by transporting ballot boxes from every precinct to the McMinn County Jail to be counted behind closed doors. Why even count them? <laughs> if you're just going to pull them in there, why even count them? Uh, neutral elections observers became the enemy and were frequently, force, uh, frequently forcefully ejected from polling sites, if not arrested. With nearly 10% of the town's population fighting overseas, 10%. The beleaguered citizens didn't feel there was much they could do to fight the nefarious political machine. Cantrell eventually moved on to become a state senator, leaving Pat Mansfield to become his successor as sheriff, exactly as they had planned. But by the time soldiers were arriving home, Cantrell intended to resume his position as McMinn County Sheriff. By 1946, most GIs had returned home to find the liberties and freedoms they assumed they had fought for quashed by the succession of zealous sheriffs and their deputies who made a racket of roughing up and arresting the former soldiers. Yeah. Mm. But the profiteering scheme wasn't exactly well received. Rather than accepting this iniquity, the GIs decided to remove the despised kleptocrats from power by running for office on a nonpartisan platform. In response, Cantrell publicly accused the former soldiers of plotting to stuff ballot boxes in their favor. He's accusing them of what he was doing. 
to which the GIs offered a $1,000 reward for verifiable proof that no one ever collected. Fully aware of the opponent's own ballot stuffing, the military men employed car-mounted loudspeakers to roll through Athens, repeating one of their popular campaign slogans, Your vote will be counted as cast. On Election Day, August the 1st, 1946, Voters thronged to the polls in record numbers. Mansfield had bolstered his staff of deputies by hiring law enforcement from other cities and even other states. Now, some 300 strong, the lawmen hawkishly guarded voting precincts, but rather than looking out for fraud, the men roughed up veterans serving as poll watchers and anyone else they considered to be troublemakers. Legally appointed GI Representative Walter Ellis became the first person arrested by Mansfield's goons after he protested irregularities observed in the courthouse precinct. Several others soon followed, all arrested without just cause. But one of the worst incidences incidents occurred when an elderly black farmer, Tom Gillespie, attempted to cast his vote. One of Cantrell's badge thugs sneered at the old man and said, nigger, you can't vote here, and proceeded to punch him with brass knuckles. When Gillespie dropped his ballot and moved for the door, the goons shot him in the back. Hearing the gunshot, crowds swarmed into the streets, and Mansfield responded by shutting down the precinct and, po- and positioning armed guards to prevent access. Gillespie's shooting and the sheriff's actions enraged the veterans, and one of them shouted, let's go get our guns. After the former soldiers retrieved pistols, shotguns, and various other weapons, throngs of citizens joined them in surrounding the county jail, where at least 25 deputies had run for cover. The GIs began firing in an attempt to draw the errant lawmen out, but it wasn't until around 4 a.m. that they finally surrendered. Many called for the corrupt to be hanged, but ultimately they were taken to the edge of town, tied to trees, stripped naked, and told not to come back. Wow. Can you imagine some guys doing that in their county uh, to some of these crooks who are doing this stuff? Just that's enough to humiliate them. They eagerly complied, but even this showdown hadn't stopped Cantrell as he retained control of the precincts and had pulled ahead in the election and thus ordered polling sites to close early. One fed up veteran, Bill White, who had fought in the Pacific Theater, grew more irate as the day wore on and decided to rally his compatriots to action. You call yourselves GIs, he bellowed. You go over there and fight for three or four years. You come back and you let a bunch of draft dodgers who stayed here where it was safe and you were making it safe for them push you around. If you people don't stop this, and now is the time and place, you people wouldn't make a pimple on a fighting GI's behind. Get guns. White and several others proceeded to raid the National and State Guard armories and returned heavily armed to the jail where Cantrell and the few cronies he had left remained barricaded inside. They demanded Cantrell exit with the ballot boxes, but were met with silence. After unleashing an untimely, ineffective barrage of gunfire on the jail, the men procured a healthy supply of dynamite, which worked like a charm. Cantrell and his men promptly surrendered, and astonishingly, Despite all the gunfire, explosives, and brutal force, there were no casualties in the Battle of Athens. Even Gillespie survived the gunshot to his back. And uh, you guys watch on the video platforms, you'll see uh, where they flipped over a car and, you know, there's some stuff like that. But 
Nobody died during all of this. Pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. Cantrell, unsurprisingly, lost by a landslide, and the victorious GIs immediately began returning the ex-sheriff's extorted fees to the grateful citizens, eventually returning order to the long-suffering town. Now, Claire offers some some comments here in a couple of, of paragraphs, and let me read these to you because I think I think they're good good comments. She writes, these events were extreme, and though this momentous victory of citizens over corrupt crony politicians proved something can indeed be done to fight establishment malfeasance, armed revolt certainly isn't a realistic and justifiable option now, but other options, particularly when instituted on a large scale, could prove just as fruitful. One of the most effective ways to vote doesn't involve elections or polls at all. Withdrawing your money from corporate from the corporatist system, which funds and backs corporate politicians, can be a decisive method to show your intolerance. I actually think there's that you can do the other, uh, but in a different means. Um, but she says this is a way you could do that, and that's true. The other is just not to vote for them, not to cast a vote for them. Do not give your consent to them to govern you. Hit politicians where it hurts them most, their wallets, by growing your own organic food, participating in barter and trade, or by either refusing to vote in national elections or opting instead for a third-party candidate. Be creative in refusing to validate the system that directly permits such corruption and worse to continue. When the law becomes so twisted it allows criminals to operate with impunity, that law is little more than hollow ordinance. That's exactly right. If working within the system to change it from the inside isn't fruitful, think, and she mentions Bernie Sanders, perhaps it's time to work outside it. I agree with the working outside of it, not with Bernie Sanders, but uh, because he would be just as bad. He's already told you he'd be just as bad. These guys had to go to an armory. The National Guard Army. Why? Uh, armory. Why? Because the Guard has been a federalized militia. Well, that was never the idea of the guys who wrote the Constitution. Fact, let's just look at this. Second Amendment, guys. Just look at this. What does it say? A well-regulated militia. And that was, that was distinct from any kind of federalized things. These were volunteers. You go over in the book of uh, 1 Samuel, you'll see how the militia is set up. It was strictly volunteer. But the Second Amendment says this, and a lot of Second Amendment groups just forget this first part. They just forget it. A well-regulated militia being, what is that word? What, what, what's, it, what's that word there? Necessary. Necessary to the security of a free state. Listen, if we don't have constitutional militias, and that's just able-bodied men volunteering to serve as militia, to secure a free state. If we don't have that, we don't have a free state. Let's not put ourselves under any illusions. We don't have a free state if we don't have that. They're telling us that. It's necessary for it. And then it says the right of the people to what? Keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Didn't say if, you, if the government thought you were a little crazy. Didn't say... If they thought you were saying something you shouldn't supposed to be saying. It didn't th say if you didn't go with their group think. It didn't say if, uh, if you were 
a veteran and you had PTSD, uh, they could take your guns. None of that. It says your right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And it's infringed all day long. And the main one of the main reasons it's infringed all day long, we don't have militia to stop it. The, the reason people's property are taken by the IRS and other things like that is because there's not a militia in your county to come together and say, no, you're not going to do that. You know what? Even the Bible warns against stuff like that. It says if you owe a guy a debt and you give him a cloak, it says at night, return the guy's cloak so he has something to sleep in. How much more taking his property, his house, his livelihood? Do you know how, how wicked that is? And yet we have stories all the time where cities and counties and the IRS are taking people's houses. They're, they're, they're in their 70s, their 80s. They're taking their houses because they, owe, they allegedly owe them $8 and something or $100 and something. It's wicked. And if the militia were put in place, and that is a solution, by the way. You can call it whatever you want. The men of the, of the, of the community getting together and being men together to look after one another and after their neighbors together. That's a solution right there. That is a solution. And armed men at that. The Second Amendment doesn't exist so you can go target practicing or so you can shoot deer or so you can talk about you know how great your gun is and all that. It is to stop tyrants like this, including those who wish to commit election fraud and to steal elections. The militia is necessary for that. And here were guys, you, you read the quote there. They went and fought tyrants overseas. So these guys who are committing the crimes against the people could be, you know, doing what they're doing and they come back and see it. And then they become the brunt of their crimes. And they said, well, we're, we're not going to tolerate it over there. We're not going to tolerate it here. I hear a lot of talk, man. I hear a lot of talk about it. But if the militia were in place, let me tell you, in the counties, those men could go in and they could watch the polls armed. I don't know what this business is that the feds and the states think that they can tell, well, you can't take guns into government buildings. You can't take gu guns into polling places. Why not? Doesn't it say the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed? Bearing them means carrying them. Wherever you go, it doesn't, doesn't limit the place where you can take your guns. This is why the whole Heller thing about in your house and stuff is just like, what? Yeah, of course you can have it in your house. These people don't want to pay attention to what's going on. So you say, well, you know, Tim, we can't go against this thing. We'll never do anything in this, that, and the other. Let me just read you something, and then I'm going to play you the, the, little, the little clip here. And we're probably going to go over because I'm already at like 19 minutes here. This comes from 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's a story everybody knows. It's a lengthy passage, but bear with me because there's a point to be made. Okay, here it is. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shoka, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoka and Ezekah in Ephesdamim. Excuse me, I'm not familiar with that one as much. <laughs> <laughs> and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. 
and the Philistines stood on a mountain and on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He was a big boy. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. I mean, this guy's like, I don't know, the Andre the Giant of the day, maybe probably big. Yeah, he's a lot bigger than, than him. But if you can kind of picture that. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. I mean, he's a big boy and he's carrying all of this metal armor, then his spear and everything else. The staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his uh, spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron and one bearing a shield went before him. It's like he was carrying a missile. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said to them, why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am I not... Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. And if you be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. In other words, let's not shed everybody's blood here. It'll just be me and your guy. And we'll determine, you know, who's going to serve who. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. It's like, why don't you just take out that guy? But no, they're fearful. And I might add, unbelieving. Did God not promise to deliver all the people of this land into their hands? Yep, he sure did. Fearful and unbelieving. The cowardly and unbelieving are the first to find themselves in the lake of fire, the book of Revelation says, by the way. And David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons, and the man went out, excuse me, men, the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of the three sons that went to the battle were Elib and the firstborn, uh, the firstborn, and next unto him Abinadab and the third Shema. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself forty days. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves and run to the camp of thy brethren and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their, of their thousand and look how thy brethren fare and take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. I mean, it doesn't really sound like they're fighting with them. It sounds like they're fearful of everything, right? And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench at the, as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his, car, his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. He was a big guy. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man come up? Surely to divide Israel, 
uh, defy Israel is he come up and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him saying, what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? See, David had his, had his head on right. He's brought a reproach here. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He was courageous and he was believing. He knew who Goliath was actually offending. It was God. And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his brother, <clears throat> his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and thy naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. He's like, you're just here. You're just a kid. You're infatuated with the fighting and you just want to watch the fight. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? And that's what I want you to get here. David says, isn't there a cause here? You guys have been listening to this guy for 40 days. Come out at you. Defy the living God and his people. And you're over here saying, I just want to go look at the look at what's going on. I just want to be a show off. What's wrong with you guys? Is there not a cause here to take this guy down? That's his attitude. Back to verse 30. And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul. And he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. This kid, he's not even a part of the army. He's a shepherd boy. Don't let anybody, don't let your heart fail over this guy. I'll go fight him. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight him. Saul didn't have any faith either. He was unbelieving. For thou art but a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, You know, Saul, <clears throat> I'm a good shepherd. Been fighting lions and the bears. Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock, and I went after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. A bear! Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the... Whew. David has faith. I took out a lion and bear. This guy's going to be a piece of cake too. Seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. And he wasn't doing it to, be, to, to boast in himself. He knew God had delivered those animals, those those predators into his hands and he knew that the Lord would deliver Goliath into his hands as well. And David, and you notice, David never utters a word of doubt about what's going to take place. Never. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear, he'll deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go and the Lord be with thee. 
And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put on a helmet of brass upon his head. He also armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off. No armor for David. But he was armed. He was armed with a sling and some stones. Okay, so he didn't go out there unarmed. He didn't go out there to pray Goliath down. He went out there to defeat him. He took his staff in his hand, chose him five smooth stones out of the brook. Some people say, well, that was for Goliath's brothers. You read about some of those giant brothers uh, later on in the text of Scripture. He put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a script, and his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine, and the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. He pulled a WWE match here. He wanted to you know, make a big speech. For he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog? that thou comest to me with staves. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh into the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. He's trying to intimidate David. He's trying to make him fearful. And David said to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. And I come to thee in the name of... what's What, what do you see there? That's a capital Lord. That is... I come in the name of Yahweh of hosts, the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day, he's going to give it right back to him. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army. He didn't run away from it. He didn't just stand there. He ran to the battle toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his, I mean, you can see it. He's running, stuffing his hand into his bag grabbing out a stone, putting it in a sling and bringing it around his head. Put his hand in his back, took the stone, slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. Boy, there's a great picture there when you tie it into Daniel and the, 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 the stone cut out without hands comes and smashes the image of Nebuchadnezzar in his dream. And who is that stone? It's Christ. This is a picture of Christ. Therefore, David uh, ran, stood upon the Philistine, took his sword. That's the Philistine sword. Remember, David didn't have one. He took Goliath's sword, drew it out of its sheath thereof, and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled because of one guy. One guy. 
And the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until thou come to the valley into the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way of Sherem, even unto Gath and unto Ekron. And I, just catch this last part here. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines and, their, and they spoiled their tents. But notice David's courage and David's victory, the one guy gave courage to all the armies of Israel. His one act of faith and courage gave courage to the people who were fearful of Goliath. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. And the king said, Inquire thou whose son the stripling is, and as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son art thou, young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. When you look back, he is the son of the great, 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 great granddad in the line of Jesus. The thing in the midst of that is David saw with faith what could be done that people thought were impossible or was impossible. And he said, is there not a cause? And I ask you, is there not a cause in the battle that we're engaged in with the wickedness of what's going on here in the United States? And I got to tell you, it's more than election fraud. It's way more than election fraud. I think at the root of it, you get rid of the lawless money, you'll deal with a lot of the other stuff. The Federal Reserve has got to go. I think the District of Criminals has got to go. But it's going to take some people to do it at the local level. It's going to take people who are going to do it at the local level. And with that said, I'm going to play this little clip. Now, it's interesting. I looked this up. Um. <clears throat> the this con this is a small clip from uh, a a larger movie and I'll have the larger movie if you want to watch it I'll have that in the archives called an American story I believe that's the name of it. yeah an American story 1992 was when it was put out and there's somebody on the IMDb site and I'm gonna wait and start this little clip after we close out the radio show but there's several things in the movie there's about 13 minutes or so, that's the Battle of Athens, okay? But there's other instances here, and this person, whoever's leaving this con this comment here on the IMDb website about uh, what goes on in the film, also points to a lot of other things that was uh, taking place in here. Um, by the way, this this stars Tom, Tom Sizemore. Remember, he, he died here recently. Um, I think he had an aneurysm or something. He had taken the shot. Um, he He's in this. And then you've got uh, G.W. Bailey, who's Tom Cantrell in here, and some other people. But he said there was a lot of other things. It wasn't just a Second Amendment kind of thing that was going on here. There were a lot of things. They were bringing back soldiers uh, from the war and their integration back into society. Um, uh, different kinds of war friendships here. Um, there were... Uh, political issues where there was 
a Mexican who had been put on a ticket, um, a number of things, interactions with uh, veterans, uh, come, again, coming back home, people not understanding what they had to do in war, because war does change men. It changes them. Ask any man who's actually been in in real war. I'm not talking about he's kind of on the outskirts and this, that, and that. He's actually been there. He's had to actually kill people. He's seen his friends killed. It changes them. And often not for the better. And most of them will tell you that. But they, he leaves that this movie has a lot of different things that it brings out about the time in which these men uh, came back. And again, it's called An American Story. I'll have the uh, full movie up where you can watch that. And then I'll have this clip up. But I'm going to go ahead. Let me pull this over here. And we'll get it started. And then you guys on the radio, if you want to jump over and watch it, you've got time to do that. SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. Before it's news.com, top of the page there or on Rumble, Sons of Liberty Radio Live. And again, it'll be in the archive. But this is the start of this 13-minute or so clip. And everybody always likes this uh, because it's a it's a pretty good rep representation of, of what took place, what we read about at the first part of this. And I'm telling you right now, you're not going to get anything through the courts. We see very little prosecution. We do see some of election fraud, but usually it's a single person here or there. And I'm not talking about people going and brandishing weapons at the polls and stuff. I'm just saying you be armed. It's your right to be armed. I just read it in the Second Amendment. That's your right to be armed. You're not to be told where you can and can't be armed. And if the men of the, if the, men of the community will get up and they'll watch their polls and if you can push to get these electronic voting booths out. That's a that's a big problem right there. But we saw in Arizona a lot of this these ballots coming in and manipulating things through the, the paper ballots too. If you can do that and you can watch over those polls, then, then you might have some fair elections. Otherwise, just expect more of the same. Just expect more of the same. Um, we're down to about 30 seconds here, and I hate to start this and then stop it. So I'm just kind of filling this with words. But the militia, again, if you go back into 1 Samuel, one of the things you'll see is all voluntary. It's men. And if if they've got certain things that are going to occupy their time, or if they're a coward, or whatever, the, they got just got married, or any of that, any of that stuff that's on their mind, they sent them home. They don't want them endangering themselves and the lives of the other men that are going to be dependent upon them in the battle. So we're going to start this up. We're going to close out the show here. Bradley, be with you at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And then, Lord willing, we're going to be back with you in the morning, bright and early, 6 a.m. Close out the week, and uh, we'll see what we've got going on then. Talk to you now. Okay, want to welcome everybody coming over from the radio, and here we go. This is uh, the Battle of Athens from an American story. Here it goes.
called her officially closed. Everybody out. What the hell do you think you're doing? I'm worried you and everybody else will leave these premises. Halls are closed. Hell they are. These people came here to vote that. Damn it, Chris! Yep. What? Alright. Jeff just got shot. Over to the post office. McMillan's got some kind of army over there. They closed the polls. Hey, Billy. Got the keys to the army. Let's go. Hold up. George, but I swear I will. You know, we're taking what we came for and we're getting out of here. It's gonna be alright. Come on! You tell Cantrelli's gone too far this time, McMillan. Hell, George, it's all your fault. You should have kept your mouth shut and mind your own business. hell we do now, George? hard to tell. Every ten minutes, another farmer with a shotgun pulls up. Yeah, yeah, Earl! Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you better believe it's important. I got a bunch of renegade veterans with guns surrounding my jail. They're trying to steal the ballot boxes, that's what. No, no, I don't know how many. There's a there's a hundred of them, maybe, maybe two hundred. Look, I need some help, and I need it fast. Yes, Earl, I have men, but I don't have enough to... Yeah. Yes, all right. You, you just hurry, you understand? Someday we'll see how fast I move when your back's up against the wall. Cover the window. What do you say? I'm going to mobilize the National Guard. We just have to sit tight and wait. In the meantime, let's do what we came here to do. Open it up! Tom! This is George Meade! We want two of your deputies to come down. 
unarmed with the ballot boxes. Set them right down here in the middle of the street. We'll take them, do an official count, then we can all go home. Now, if I don't see that ballot box come through that door in one minute, we're going to open fire. You got 60 seconds. 20. You're out of your mind, George. We're the law here, not you. The National Guard's on its way, and they're going to... Who fired that shot? said as soon as the national guard gets here they're gonna shoot first ask questions later we'll go to prison george they don't kill us first we've got to get those ballot boxes out of there before the guard gets here if we can do that that's just a matter of time before we get a chance to tell our side of the story whole town's our witness so what do we do george the brick's too solid we can't shoot through it they can stay in there all night we'll just have to blow it on you, Johnny. Let you walk away. Nobody blame you for staying away. It's different when it's a war, right, George? Yeah, but it shouldn't be. I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this to get rid of Cantrell. I'm doing it because this is my town, too. Put your head down, amigo.
Where is he? I swear, he, he ran down the stairs and had the back at the explosion. Out. Get out! Congratulations, Mr. Mayor. I want you to notice one thing. Let me put that back on. They're still showing some of the images. I'm sorry about that. <clears throat> notice how they, how these men had the same mindset about the injustices they were facing, the justice they wanted to bring. They were not intent on killing anybody. That's not what they were there for. They wanted the law to be upheld. They wanted the people's votes to be upheld. But they were together. They were already together. Many of them had fought together. And this is what I'm talking about, about the men in the community coming together, discipling one another, building one another up, informing one another, sharing information, working together to be the solution. The solution isn't coming from Washington. Washington is the problem. It is a disease that needs to be abolished. It's not going to come from the state. It's going to come from the people. And until we start building a community of men up again, we're not going to see a change. It's just going to be worse and worse. And I believe a community of godly men, not just a community of men, but a community of godly men. I'm going to drop the, uh, the full... This is the full movie. Some of you guys are asking about it. There it is. It's in the uh, chat, and I'll make sure that the links are also in the uh, comment section in just a bit, as well as in the archive, so be sure to check that. If you want to watch the whole thing, you can do that. Uh, it's, a, it's a worthwhile movie to watch, and then if you want to share just the portion that we played this morning, uh, that is also right there in the chat, and you guys will have that, and that'll be in the comment section too. But think on these things. I'm not, look, I'm not, 
calling for violence, but I recognize just a show of force sometimes is enough to get people to do the right thing. Sometimes. But make no mistake about it. The agents of the state are more than willing to use force and violence against you. Your servants are more than willing to do that against you and against your family and against your neighbors. We got to get our game face on here. We we really do have to perceive what's going on. And again, I think a community of men building one another up, training together, getting the right mindset. And I believe a biblical mindset. This is a great time for you Christian men in your communities to disciple other men. It really is. It's a great time to, to disciple them. And um, yeah, I do believe we see the men in the Old Testament. Many of them are mentioned in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11. They were men of war. Isn't God called that as well? Yep, he's called a man of war. And uh, our warfare is obviously spiritual. It's not fought with carnal weapons, but there are times where there is a defense against tyranny. And as we saw in the Second Amendment there, for the sec- it's necessary. Necessary. Armies, militias, if you will, and the right to keep and bear arms are necessary for the security of a free state. We don't have militias. Therefore, we don't have free states, guys. Simple as that. Simple as that. God bless you as you think about these things and as you put forth your hand to the plow in your own sphere of influence, um, God may bring a standard to be raised up against the flood of evil that's come into our land. Bradley, be with you at 3. Again, we'll see you in the morning, Lord willing, 6 a.m., bright and early. See you.